Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the Grow Your Own Food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Boom, urban farmers. Today we have hit an incredible milestone. This is our 250th episode since the Urban Farm Podcast launched a mere 18 months ago. Plus, the really great news is we are just about ready to eclipse 600,000 listens. That is a whole lot of people impacted. This success is in great part because of you, our loyal listeners. So I wanted to take a moment and give you a heartfelt thanks for your dedication to joining the food revolution and taking responsibility for your food system. Given this epic milestone, we have a special episode planned, so let's get to it. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we are changing things up a bit. I am Jake Mace, the vegan athlete with jakemace.com and seedbankbox.com, and I'm interviewing Greg Peterson about his journey to the urban farm. Greg, welcome to my show today. (laughs) Thanks. Greg has lived at the urban farm for almost 30 years. His one-third of an acre yard features an entirely edible landscape, including over 70 fruit trees, rainwater and graywater harvesting, solar applications, and extensive use of reclaimed and recycled building materials. Greg is a longtime permaculture advocate flunked out of university in 1981, which was the year I was born. Wow. Because he was bored and then went back 20 years later to get a bachelor's degree and a master's in urban and environmental planning in 2006 and is a lifelong continual learner. On his days off, he hangs out in his garden with his sweetheart Heidi and their chickens, creating new projects and catching some rays. Greg, welcome to the show. Hey, hey. This is fun, man. We're reversing things a bit today. Yeah, exactly. You've been on the show, what, three times? Maybe even four times. Maybe I'm not sure. Times, yeah. I love being on your podcast and it's really picked up and gotten a lot of audience, which is nice. great because your message is so yeah. important and impactful. Yeah, thanks. So I just shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you are today? Absolutely. So I've had an interesting life. I, I knew when I was nine years old that fish aquariums were in my future. Mm-hmm. And I liked the fish part, right? So this was like 1971. And by the time I was 15, I was running my own 
business. It was my first business. I used to clean, service, and build fish ponds here in town. And I was really interested in the aquaculture part. Hmm. You know, the part where we were raising fish for fish, you know, for us to eat. Whether koi, tilapia, or whatever. Well, we wouldn't eat koi, but right, tilapia, catfish, that kind of stuff. I was actually helping people build their own fish ponds so that they could raise their own fish to eat. Wow. Kind of like aquaponics seeks to do today. Yeah, this was the precursor to the aquaponics movement. Exactly. The 70s, the precursor to the whole internet. (laughs) There you go. And this was in 1975. Right. I was doing this. That same year, I also wrote a paper on how we were overfishing the oceans. I was 15 at the time. I have no idea how I knew that, but I knew that there was something wrong with how we were living on the planet and eating on the planet. And I knew back then that I needed to do something about it. And have we gotten better since the 70s, the <laughs> mid-70s, or has our situation of overfishing and oh, yeah. that sort of thing gotten worse? What oh, do you think? it's definitely gotten worse. And we've gotten far more overpopulated. Yeah, and we've gotten far more overpopulated, So, which you know, just makes our job, you know, Jake Mace's job and Greg Peterson's job, a better job because we get to talk to more people. And people really know these days that there's something wrong Mm -hmm. and they need to do something about it. So that's a cool piece for for us, for me, for sure. You know, I think too is that in today's world, the internet has given a voice to the people that know the true information like yourself. Yeah. People that know there's overfishing going Mm -hmm. on, that it's important to garden in your front and your backyards. The internet allows them to go viral on social media and get the word out. Yeah, which is really cool. It's a cool time. And you do that a lot, which is cool too. I'm trying with you too, yeah. (laughs) Woo, baby. Absolutely. So, and then if we fast forward to 1991, I was born in 1961. And if we fast forward to 1991, there were several things that happened for me in 1991 that were structural for how I interact with the world. And one of the big things that happened is a friend of mine went to the South Pacific. They were on a sailboat and they anchored at an island looking for a grocery store. Hmm. And so they went onto the island and, and were wandering around looking for a store. And they asked some of the people that were there. There were people living on the island. You know, where do we find a grocery store? And the people just kind of looked at them funny and they said, go pick your own. The grocery store is planet Earth. The gro- <laughs> That's right? a really good way of putting it. Yeah. Absolutely. The grocery store is planet Earth. And when, when Walt came back from his trip and shared that with me, because he knew I was into this stuff then, mm-hmm. that was a pivotal moment in my life when I got to realize that we can do this on our own. We can raise our own food. It was it was one of those moments where it just basically turned my life upside down. Mm. That same year, I had a couple other things happen. I did my first permaculture design course, and I like to call permaculture the art and science of working with nature. So how do we work in with nature, work in the flow of nature rather than against nature? Because we human beings... We like to fight nature, mm-hmm. and nature just flows. So I did my first permaculture design course that year in 1991, and, and for me, I was continually amazed at how much of this stuff I already knew in my heart, and it, you know, my mind was catching up. Like, how can we work in the flow of everything? And it's like the facts were catching up. Yeah. The facts were in conjunction with your heart. Yeah. With ex- your feeling. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, so like in permaculture, we talk about a permaculture chicken and, and as opposed to a, an industrial chicken. Industrial chickens, you know, they're good for really one thing. We eat them. We either eat their 
eggs or eat their meat, mm-hmm. right? And they're not treated well and, you know, so on and so on. They're treated like things instead of like living beings sharing the earth with us. Exactly. So when we look at a permaculture chicken, like our chickens that live in our backyard, there are pets. Or family members. Or family members. And we don't eat them. You know, they lay eggs for us. So the only eggs that I'll eat are the eggs from my yard. And they also eat bugs. They eat weeds. They poop for us. So they're really contributing something to the yard. And I got to see back then, they call this in permaculture, they call this stacking functions. Mm -hmm. And I got to see back then that we can use stacking functions in every part of our life. Like one tree, one plant, one animal can have multiple functions that make permaculture happen. Exactly. Exactly. And one trip to the grocery store. Hmm. You know, if we just go to the grocery store and then come home. In fact, I learned this at my time at Arizona State University the second time around in my transportation planning class. It's called trip stacking. Hmm. You don't go to the grocery store, come home, go to the you know pet store, come home. You, you do them in sequence and then come home. Hmm. So... That's the whole notion of stacking functions. And that's one of my big takeaways from permaculture. There's so many more things that I took away from permaculture, but that's one of my big takeaways. You know, this is important because I tell folks that attend my gardening workshops or that Mm -hmm. comment on my YouTube videos Mm -hmm. that it's so important to grow your own food because when you also go to the store, you're limited to what the store wants you to eat, which is usually one variety of eggplant, one variety of tomato, and it's usually grown in soil that's not nutrient dense. Right. So when you turn your yard into a permaculture forest, Mm -hmm. you can grow dozens of varieties of one kind of plant or several varieties of fruit tree and your life gets better because there's more nutrients in your blood. Yeah. And you know, that was one of my big takeaways from the permaculture design course is how could I design my yard so that it's an edible food forest? And you've done a magical job of this at longevity gardens. And you know, we just have to jump in and try. You know, thank you. I'm just a typical normal guy that's just had an interest in this. And for seven years, I've turned my yard into a food forest. And my yard's in the city. It's a third of an acre in the city. Yeah. So imagine if all my neighbors did it too. Yeah. And you grow an amazing amount of food there. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, Greg, this leads me to some questions here. In 1991, it seems like that was an impactful year for you. Yeah, it was. And it affected your life deeply. Yeah. My sister was also born in 1991. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So tell us more. Tell us more about, was it in 1991, was it just a cathartic moment for you in terms of permaculture and lifestyle, or did you Mm -hmm. actually start the urban farm in that year? Now, the urban farm comes later. Okay. But there was something else that happened in 1991 that changed my life forever. Tell me. I signed up for a workshop uh, at Landmark Education. Some of the listeners out there might know it. It's called the Forum. And it was the Forum is really a, a workshop. It's a week weekend long workshop. And it's designed to kind of break up your paradigms and how you think. Hmm. And I went on and did some other courses with them. And one of the courses that I did was called their advanced course. And in their advanced course, I created basically my life mission. So in 1991, hmm. I was 30 years old. And I took on the task then of creating who I was going to be for the rest of my life. Wow. Yeah. And it stuck. So here we are almost, what, 20-something years later. And you can kind of trace your mission back to that day. Yeah. And here it goes. Tell us. I'm the guy on the planet responsible for transforming our food system. You always say you want to see 10,000 urban farms. In Phoenix. In Phoenix. In Phoenix, yeah. Right. See that, And that's a piece of it, too. That's how it's manifested itself. But so what I get to do 
in a really cool way every day is I get to step into being that guy that transforms our global food system. Now, am I arrogant enough to think that I'm going to, you know, I'm that guy and it's really going to happen? Well, maybe or maybe not. But it's something that I get to wake up to every day and it pulls me forward to create that, whatever that is, the what, what if of the day, that's what pulls me forward. You know, I've met so many people in my life through the martial arts and through uh -huh. gardening. I mean, yeah. tens and tens of thousands of people in person. And the people that I've met that have a mission like mm -hmm. that, they have a purpose mm. that transcends themselves every day when they wake up. They are the happiest people in the world because whether they make money or not, the purpose gives life meaning for them. Yeah. And so you have this purpose. Yeah, I do. Are you succeeding, you think? I think you're succeeding. I, well, in my own way, I am, yeah. You know, and, and I hold it out there like, well, yeah. This is a major what if, you know, it's like a major what if, can I jump to the moon? Well, probably not, but it's fun to dream about it. You know, can I transform the global food system? Well, who knows, but I get to wake up to it every day and I make my difference. You know, I'll tell you one way you're succeeding is that I know you've inspired a lot of people to name their urban farm, oh, name their yes, yard yes, yeah. and myself. And when I first began my journey to do a food forest in my front of my, my backyard, I took uh -huh. your class at the Desert Botanical Garden yeah. on how to harvest rainwater off your roof. I remember this, yeah. And now I have a YouTube channel with over 60,000 followers mm -hmm. who follow my gardening journey. We have, you know, I don't know, almost 10 million views on that channel. Wow. I had a gardening workshop last weekend at my house that had close to 300 people at it. Wow, and nice. And it all started kind of with your rainwater yeah. harvesting class. So you never know how this, yeah. far the ripples of your lake will go. Yeah. And that, that's cool. And this is really one of the things, thank you for saying that. Sure. Because it's really the one of the things that I want to share with my listeners of the podcast. We're coming up on episode number 260. Mm -hmm. And this is the big message. One of my big messages is, you know what? Plant the seeds, go out and do the work and then see what happens. See what happens. Because that day, seven years ago, when you came into my class, I remember it. You came in, you showed me a picture of your backyard. It was dirt. Like a Google image. Yeah, it was a Google image of your backyard. Now you have a drone that you can take pictures of. It yeah, on. it's much better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you showed me, a, you know, your Google map of your backyard. And it was just a dirt, you know, flat dirt yard. And now there's a pond in the place. And, you know, what, how many fruit trees you got? 230 fruit trees or something like that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. What's cool now is that I'm able to see all the mistakes that I made mm -hmm. um, and teach other people how to supersede that and go right to success right yeah. away. Yeah. Like which fruit trees to plant to create the top level canopy of the forest. Mm -hmm. And then which fruit trees to plant that are the most abundant producers of actual food. Yeah. And which fruit trees are native and how to position them in the yard so that they all function together. Um, one example is this year I was in my yard at sunset and I was marveling that the trees are actually getting bigger than mm -hmm. I've ever seen where I feel like they own me. It's not the other way around. Oh, right, right. Yeah. I'm on their turf. Yeah. And we started getting some like monsoon kind of wind coming in. Uh -huh. And before I used to have these uh, uh, dirt devils pick up dust in my yard and just yep. take the dust into the atmosphere. Yeah. And now the wind is blowing on everybody else's yards around me. But in the middle of my yard, it's actually kind of still. It's quiet. Because the trees yeah. break it up. Yeah. And you said that's, that's a windbreak and that's part of permaculture. That's a win exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, and this is, this is actually one of the reasons why I wanted you to interview me for this. Why is that? Because it very well could have been me speaking what you just said. Okay. Because I've shared with you, you paid attention, you learned, and you took that and you made it your own. 
you know, you made it, you absolutely made it your own, but those are seeds that got planted along the way. So mm-hmm. thanks for the work you do and yay. No, thanks for inspiring me and yeah. for teaching me about rainwater harvesting and wood chips in the yeah. very beginning. Cause oh, I think yeah. wood chips are so important for yeah. our success in permaculture. Exactly. If you want, if you want to know more about wood chips, we have a whole episode on the podcast, Really, Jake Mace wood chips. So if you just, Ooh. if you go to urbanfarm.org and the podcast page, do a search for Jake Mace the podcast episode will come up, so you'll be oh, able great. to... great. Yeah. That's my episode on wood chips. Yeah, exactly. I've got three feet or more of wood chips everywhere mm-hmm. in my yard. Isn't that amazing? Yep. Isn't that amazing? Good job, man. So tell us, Greg, more about uh, the Urban Farm. Where do you think the Urban Farm goes from here and your permaculture design course? Yeah, all right, cool. So the Urban Farm happened out of my work at Arizona State University. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I said in my bio that I flunked out of ASU the first time I was there. I absolutely hated it. It was 1981. I was running two of my own businesses. I was 20 years old. I didn't need school and I wasn't interested. But fast forward 20 years and I'm back in school. But this time I was in school with a mission to improve myself. The different mindset. And a a very different mindset. Absolutely. And the urban farm wasn't the urban farm until 2001. And it came out of one of the classes at Arizona State University that I was taking, where I had to write a mission and vision for my life. Hmm. So it, again, you know, in 1991, I did the, who's, you know, my stand for who I am in the world. Yeah, you kind and, of design your purpose. Exactly. In 2001, I, have, I had another opportunity to revisit that and, hmm. and really look at all right, what do I want to do? How do I want to make this live in the ground? So when did you actually begin living here at the Urban Farm? I moved in here in 1989. Oh, wow. So you already yeah. own this house. I already own this house. Yeah, I own this house. So fast forward to 2001. I'm in a class at Arizona State University, and I have to write a mission and vision for my life. And what I came up with was, oh my gosh, I'm already doing what I want to do. Because I always thought I was going to go out there somewhere and get 100 acres and be a farmer. And grow food and feed feed people. Right. Well, I took a little bit different tact on it. I was already doing, you know, the gardens here at the Urban Farm. And by 2001, we had started to do tours of the Urban Farm. You know, I was kind of opening it up so people could come in and see what was going on here. Because you have flood irrigation here. You're already planting right. exactly. trees and gardens. Oh, yeah. Well, the reason I bought the place in 1989 is because I wanted to grow, you know, I wanted to grow food. Yeah. That was my whole point of buying this place. Okay. So let me ask you a really quick question. What did it cost you in 1989? 89. Yeah. What was the cost of this property in 89? 89. $89,000? $89,000. Wow. Yeah. That's a great price. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And for those of you who don't know it, the houses are uh, five, six, seven times that in the area. Right. It's not a, this is not a property I would, you know, if I was buying now, it wouldn't be another, you know, I wouldn't, wouldn't do it because it would be outside of my uh, budget, but given that I bought it in 1989 for Mm $89,000, you know, it's a perfect place for us here. That's perfect. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So I'm in a class at ASU. I'm writing a mission and vision for my life. I'm, you know, I had originally thought I was going to go out there and do farming out there. It's 2001. It's 2001. And what I realized in writing that was I was already doing what I wanted to do. And that was inspire people to do this themselves. Hmm. So that's when I started doing the stuff here at the urban farm. Now I've said this multiple times on the podcast and you and I have chatted about it. There's three things to do to claim your urban farmerness to become an urban farmer, grow food, Mm -hmm. share it with somebody and name your farm. Hmm. So the grow food and the share it, you know, that's, 
We get that, right? Mm -hmm. You want to grow food, you share it with your friends, share it with your family. Mm -hmm. The naming your farm is a really important piece because that starts to bring social cred to the local food movement. And there are literally thousands and thousands of people that have backyard farms, front porch farms, small farms, you know, less than an acre, large farms, more than an acre that have taken that to heart and they actually name their farms. I mean, if you think about it, I've, I've researched this a bit and mm -hmm. there's something completely American with growing a front and backyard garden to the point when they used to call them, they used to call them a victory, victory garden. Gardens, yeah. When the war happened, they said, if you can't go to war and fight for America, you need to grow a victory garden in your front and your backyard. Right. I found a 1913, like just almost World War I right. uh, newspaper article Whoa. that said, you're not an American unless you have uh, two chickens, two hens. For each family member in the house. Yep. They said it, chickens are American. Yes. And get some hens. If you have four family members, get eight hens. And you got free healthy food in your backyard. Yeah. So I think doing an urban farm or a victory garden or permaculture is what we call it today. But yeah. in a sense, you know, living in the city, I think people have forgotten how uniquely independent, freeing, and American it is to grow a garden, an edible food forest, have chickens, and do the whole thing in your front and your backyard. Yeah. You're doing it. Yeah. You're the most American guy that I know. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> Thanks. I'll take it. I'll take it. So, Greg, when I first came to the urban farm and did a tour of your property after the rainwater harvesting class, mm -hmm. you're the only guy I knew who had the idea to actually grow food like I wanted to do at my new house I bought uh -huh. in Tempe. We call them food forests. Food forests, right? Yeah. And I was amazed at how you had all these fruit trees. You had a hedge of citrus out front. Mm -hmm. Give us some of your favorite fruit trees that are at the urban farm uh, that you think are your favorites. Cool. Well, navel oranges and trovita oranges. They're two of my favorites. Navels, uh, they ripen in the winter. So they're November, December, January ripen times. That's why I have, I don't know, seven or eight navel trees in my front yard. Hmm. And then trovita oranges are very navel-like. And then they come around in January, February. So I'm getting a little bit of overlap. So I get like five months a year of, of oranges that you can peel and eat, and which is really cool. don't most people get sick over the wintertime? Maybe Mother Earth is telling us to eat citrus because of the vitamin C in the wintertime. There you go. And this leads me into your fruit tree program. You uh -huh. actually, not only do you inspire folks, teach them about fruit trees, yeah. show them how to prune them, how to feed them how to water them, but you also hook them up with high-quality fruit, fruit trees in the springtime? In this, well, yeah. So how the program works, mm -hmm. uh, and for those of you in Phoenix, uh, you can come and check out our fruit tree launch program in September. You'll get an email about this if you're on our mailing list. But if you're not in Phoenix, if you know, you're, if you're anywhere else in the country, find somebody cool and local like yourself, a local person there you go. that gets trees that will work in your area. So for Phoenix area people... It's Greg Peterson's fruit tree program. Tell us about how it works. I'll take it. Thank you. So, and what I was going to say was if you're not in Phoenix and you want to learn how I run this program so you can set it up out there where you're oh, at, nice. I'd be willing to teach people how to do this. I would wow. love to see this program go elsewhere. If you're in Las Vegas, California, Texas, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Because okay. it's a really unique program in that what we do is we run education classes and programs in September, October, November, and December. And people can pre-order their trees during that time. And then the trees come in exactly when they need to be planted. Right. So the deciduous bare root trees come in in January, which is the exact right time in Arizona to plant the trees. And a bare root tree is just a one that's asleep. 
One, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's one that's asleep. And then the citrus and the more tropical fruits, they come about six weeks later in toward the end of February, early March. We, you know, we deliver those out. So the unique thing about this program is that it's an education program, teach people, you know, how to be successful growing your own food. And then we have in the spring what's called a pop-up nursery, mm-hmm. the Urban Farm Pop-Up Nursery. And we're open like 14 days in January, February, and March. That's it. For people to come and get their trees, we give more classes at the uh, tree pickup location, you know, instruction, and and really share with people how to be successful starting your food forest. From scratch, if that's from, what you do. From scratch, exactly. Or adding to it, if that's what you're doing. Yeah, too. exactly. So if you're in Maine or Pennsylvania or New York or whatever, they can contact you and learn how you're doing it. And you'll you'll open source the information to them, right? On the, the about the program, about the fruit tree program. Because here's the deal: in Maine or Minnesota or Seattle, the trees are going to be different, right? The rootstocks are going to be different. The amount of cold that you get is going to be different. So it's a different growing environment. So it's going to be different trees, but the program could work the same way. Correct. And the enthusiasm yeah. for gardening is still there. And the enthusiasm for gardening is absolutely still there. Is gardening the most popular hobby in the world? I think it must be. I hope so. For sure. I hope so. I'll tell you what, 10 years ago, literally 10 years ago, I was on the front page of a magazine. Um, Oh, right there. It was the uh, uh, North Scottsdale Times. And the headline, I'm I'm looking at a uh, framed copy of it. It says, The Green Extreme. And you're meditating in front of some corn. And I'm meditating in front of some corn in the front yard. Exactly. It says, the headline says, The Green Extreme, Once Kooky Tree Huggers, are today's green gurus, but would you want to be their neighbor? Mm. So 10 years ago, they were poking fun at us, and now? I'll tell you what happens now. It's Please. I did a tour for, it was 150 people on Saturday, 150 on Sunday, so uh-huh. one weekend, 300 people. Yeah. My neighbors all come to the tour. Yep. They get involved with my, with my gardening people. Yeah. We call them treeple. Tree, oh, I Fruit love that. People. <laughs> um, one of the Congress people that lives in my neighborhood, he comes with his son. Wow. We got the heads of departments like um, city trash and waste management, city of urban forestry. Mm-hmm. They all come to my tour because they love what I'm doing. Yeah. But you've got to be a good gardener and keep it up. If you keep it pruned and yes. keep it looking nice, yeah. it can be a food forest of epic proportions. But if you keep it looking good, yep. your neighbors love it. Yeah. And if you bribe them with produce and eggs, they love it too. Absolutely. <laughs> so. Absolutely. And, and you know, you made some good points in there. Remember I said I have urban planning background when I went back to school? Right. So the same time I was in these urban planning programs from 2000 to 2006 at Arizona State University, I was starting this concept of the urban farm here. So urban planning is about city relations and plugging into your neighborhoods and building community. Hmm. So as I was taking these classes, I was starting to integrate that stuff in my yard here. So my neighbors love what I do. And that's on purpose. Hmm. You know, that's on purpose that they've, I've got them enrolled in the process and the place looks nice out front. What you said. And when really? I drive up, when I drive up and down your street, your mm-hmm. neighbors have fruit trees. Yeah, is that because of you? Yeah, it is. You're yeah. like your ripples are slowly yeah. expanding out of the urban farm into your neighborhood. Yeah. Well, one of my rules is that anybody on my street that wants a fruit tree, I'll give it to them. Hmm. So over the course of the past almost twenty years, most of my neighbors on this street have fruit trees planted in their yard because I gave it to them, and then I gave them instruction. Some of the people I actually went and planted the trees. 
I know of four apple trees right now on the street that are there because I planted them. That's great. And they're loaded with apple. Those are not the ones in my yard, which are loaded with apples. You know, I want the audience out there to think about something that I teach at my classes as well is that mm -hmm. think about when you walk outside in your neighborhood and you look at everybody's roof and very few have solar panels on top. Yeah. Why? We are missing out on nuclear power stations that are solar panels. Yeah. Harnessing the nuclear energy from the sun. Yeah. That could be on every roof. We don't need to have wind turbines. We don't need to have all these nuclear power plants if everybody's home was a generator. Yeah. The same thing with our food. If everybody's front and backyard was edible, completely edible, mm -hmm. it would still give shade, still give beauty, but we wouldn't need the stores. Yeah. We could use each other and we could be independent. Yeah. And that's so the get thought. out there and do it. That's the thought behind the 10,000 Urban Farms Project. It's like, exactly. and that, that was a what if for me. I, I play what ifs. Janice is the podcast uh, producer here, and she she knows that Thursday is our what if days. Hmm. I'll come up with a what if, and that was my, one of my what ifs. What if there were 10,000 urban farms in Phoenix, and that's at least one on a street? Yeah. You know, and, and would that feed Phoenix? No, it wouldn't feed Phoenix, but it would be a good start. Mm -hmm. It'd be a good start. The power today of this podcast and like my YouTube show, the Vegan yes. Athlete YouTube show, yeah. is that you can go on YouTube or this podcast, hear something that teaches you, uh -huh. hear something that inspires you with YouTube, see it, yep, and then immediately turn it off and go out and do it, and do it in your yard. Yeah. Don't yeah. sit in your house all day. Learn from Greg here at the podcast. Watch a video of mine, a vegan athlete. Yep. And go out and do it. Yeah. And get suntan, you know, in Catch your garden. Catch some rays, baby. Catch some rays. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, fruit tree program. And, you know, I, I've spent the last 15 years kind of figuring out how to get this information to people. Mm -hmm. and, and I spent a lot of time in the aughts. I guess they're calling them the aughts, right? From... 2000 to 2009, mm -hmm. right? So the, those are the aughts. I spent a lot of time in the aughts trying to figure this out. I've been in technology since 1984, and I knew early on that emails were going to be a good thing mm -hmm. and being able to communicate with people. So in 2009, I got together with Bellstar, Bill McDorman, and Toby Hemingway, who he's since passed, and we talked about how do we start getting this data together? How do we start putting it together into a cohesive model that we can serve over the internet? So that was the precursor to Urban Farm U. And I'm going to have to go out after this podcast and have a vegan lunch with you or something. Uh -huh. We'll talk about Snapchat and Instagram. All right, cool. Because that's one other formula you can use to reach people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, you know, I, I've been really thinking about this whole notion of how to get this information out to people mm -hmm. for at least a decade. Mm. And the Urban Farm U, where we offer courses. In fact, I, I'm, I'm hoping that by the end of the year, we'll have a Jake Mace course out as well. We're designing it right now. Yeah, exactly. And they're, they're little bits of information that people can, just exactly what you said, they can come and they can take a class, they can watch a video, they can watch one of our presentations, and then actually go do it. Right. There are so many gardeners out there who watch my vegan athlete show or come to my home tours mm -hmm. that are way better gardeners than me, but they need inspiration and motivation. Right. Exactly. And so some young blonde haired dude that probably is, has too much energy, uh -huh. me, you know, <laughs> sometimes can give them a little bit of a, of a bug to go keep gardening. Right. And some people are total beginners. They just need to know the facts. Yeah. So your podcast is priceless for both motivating the experienced and educating the beginners. Cool. Thanks. Thanks. Well, I actually did a podcast in 2007 and 2008 called Freshly Green, and we have all of those. There's about 80 episodes. 
Um, I have them archived and we may throw them up on Urban Farm Podcast. In fact, if y'all are interested, send me an email and let me know whether you want to hear the the precursor to the Urban Farm Podcast because we could, you know, cool. we could shoot those out there. And so I've done a podcast before and, you know, I'm having a lot of fun with this podcast. In fact, I love it when people that are listening, they contact me and say, you know what? I've got something to share. Can I be one of your guests? So yeah, that's cool. planted another seed, bring it on. You know, over the last week, mm-hmm. just the last week from now, what are some of the things you've been eating from your yard? Oh my gosh. List some stuff for us. Yeah. So it's you June. Got a ton of, you got a ton of apples in the kitchen right now. Yeah. We've got apples, uh, peaches, apricots. Uh, the plums aren't quite ready yet. Because we in Phoenix, we're about two months ahead of the rest of the country. Yeah, exactly. Because of the heat. Exactly. Yeah. Two to three months, I would say. Uh, tomatoes, mm. peppers, onions, garlic, uh, you know, any herb. We grow all the herbs. You're growing lots of edible flowers. Oh, lots. Yeah. Lots of edible flowers. And I bet a lot of your salad greens are just starting to get their seeds and... Oh, no, no, the salad greens are long gone. Okay, because it's, it's 109 still yeah, already. Yeah, exactly. It's 109 degrees outside. 111 next week. Oh, my gosh. That's great. I mean, that's a ton of fruit. Every month you have something ripe at the urban farm. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what I tell people about this space. You know, it's a almost a 30-year-old food forest that I've created and designed and I keep implementing. And there's always a meal in the yard. There's always a meal in the yard. And with the that's eggs, great. you know, with the chicken eggs, we have a nice source of protein as well. And, you know, it's very easy to also, if you're into compassion toward animals, to rescue those chickens. Yep. And you just give them a good life. They, yeah. lay, the egg, they lay the eggs anyways. Exactly. Well, exactly. I know in your podcast, because I've done it before, you kind of inside the actor studio people with this set of questions you ask them. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. Can I turn it around and ask you the questions? Okay, good. Okay, so the first one, we're going to ask you some of the questions you normally ask others. Uh-huh. First one is, can you talk about a time you failed how you overcame that failure and what you learned from it. Oh my gosh. So I actually designed this question because of this failure. Oh, tell us. Yeah. So this is a failure that had this question asked to over 250 guests at this point. So it's 2003 and my buddy Christian and I, if you're out there listening, Christian, hey, my buddy Christian and I were thinking of what's the next business going to be. That's, you know, I'm always a what if kind of guy. I'm always thinking about, all right, what's next? What am I going to do? And so we created the first iteration of Urban Farm Nursery. And what Urban Farm Nursery was at that point was we were raising plant starts. So from seeds and from little plugs into four inch pots. So we were growing organic, you know, tomatoes and basils and Peppers and squashes and I th- shopped there for a couple of years. Did you really? I went to your urban farm nursery. Ah, uh, this was a different one. Oh, that I was see. rendition number two. Oh, this is the original. This is the original one from two thousand and three. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. So and that that fall of two thousand and three, we planted eighty thousand four inch plant starts. Wow. Where did you plant these? Well, we had a small greenhouse out in Carefree, but we had racks set up on the out in the backyard. What was your goal? To sell to restaurants or whatever? To, no, or to th- these were or... plant starts to tell, sell to gardeners. Wow, you were just raising them yep. to then sell them to gardeners to plant in their gardens. Exactly. 80,000. Kind of like lot. Suzanne Velarde does. Yeah. You know? 80,000 is a ton. 80,000 is a ton. Okay. And so the entire roof, the entire front of the, or the back side of the roof, we had them stashed up there. We had... 
plants everywhere. And that year, 2004, it was nice and warm and sunny in January. Mm -hmm. And the plants weren't big, weren't big enough to sell yet. And in February and March, it rained every weekend. Wow. So I have 80,000. I'm the marketing guy. Christian was doing the growing. I'm the marketing guy. And I'm out there selling plants as best as I can, but people just aren't buying them because the nurseries aren't buying them because people aren't coming into the nurseries to buy plants because it's raining every weekend. Mm -hmm. So we get to the end of March and I have 50,000 plants left. At this point, the business is a failure. Yeah. <laughs> Financially. You're it's sitting just, on your inventory. I'm sitting on my inventory. So dream up this thing. I'm going to put out to my entire email list, come and get free plants. So we gave away 50,000 free plants on a Saturday. Wow. Here, here it is. That was 2004. So that was 13 years ago. People still talk to me wow. about that epic moment where we're given. And we asked them, you, you know, know. And life's all about perspective. For them, it was an epic success. Exactly. For you, it was a failure, but for them, it financially, was. Right. Financially, it was an epic failure. It made them your fan forever. Exactly. Well, you know, that day we asked for, and this was the precursor to the donation model that I use for the tours and stuff. Sure. I said, you know what? If you want to leave a donation behind, please leave a donation. So we recouped some of our money. So the failure was that nature didn't cooperate. Oh, shucks. Sure. Right. It's what happens. And what I learned from it in retrospect, first of all, I'm really glad that that business didn't succeed. Although I could have sold it, it really wasn't in my heart. It wasn't the business I really wanted to do. Right. I'm doing what I really want to do right now. And that's inspiring and educate people yeah. to do it. But the other thing from a, from a business perspective that I would do differently and my learning from that was that I would have started small. Hmm. We'd have raised 8,000 plants the first year, not 80 thousand right. plants the first yeah. year well then so, on the same lines what do you consider your biggest success well these days the podcast you know we're approaching episode number 250 and and your listenership is skyrocketing oh the listenership is huge we've we we're approaching this month we'll hit six hundred thousand listens on our podcast in the past year and a half. So it's just been a year and a half since the podcast came out. Which means you're putting out great content. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I'll take it. Mm -hmm. So, that, you know, that's that's kind of the, the evidence of what I'm happy about my success or what, what really that is. Really, the big piece is the input that I get from people. Mm -hmm. You know, honestly, having you sitting here feeding back to me the what I've taught... Right. That like that that gets well, me. Well, I'll tell you the story. When you first came look at my yard, it was probably crappy looking back in the day, but it was just good enough that you can see the I could the future. Now yeah. it looks it looks pretty great. I think. Yeah. But back in the day, when I first met you at my place, uh -huh. I took your class, took your tour, and then we met third time at my place. Yep. You didn't really know what you were doing, and you came out, and I saw the look on your face was like, oh my god, somebody actually listened to what I said. <laughs> that was the look on your face. It was. You were very happy. And kind of taken back that somebody had put into practice what yeah. you taught about. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. There's others out there too doing it. They're just more introverted and they're kind of, you know, doing it privately. But yeah, well, you know, there. Jack Davis is a great one. She's a rock star. And she is. She's in my neighborhood. Yeah. Epic Yard Farm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, there's so many of them out there. And another really big part of the success for me is the other people like you. 
you're doing tours of your place. Mm-hmm. Jay Berenger does tours of his place. Mm-hmm. You know, Kari Spencer. Um, you know, there's other people that are actually modeling my tours to a certain extent. Right. To do the same thing for their neighborhood. So it seems like the third question is what drives you, but you already answered it. It seems like the people. Yeah. The people's real stories, the people you meet in person that are inspired by your message drive you. Yeah, exactly. Is that true? Yeah. And the the reason I do what I do in the world is that I don't have any kids, but for all of you out there that have kids, I want to leave this place a better place for them. Yeah. The listeners out there, the listeners out there and the earth are your kids. Yeah. Are you going to start crying right now? This is going to be a touching uh, moment with Craig Peterson. Not quite, but there have been a couple of moments that I've been moved. <laughs> yeah. I can see the tears welling up inside yeah. your head right now. Yeah, no, well, but that's great. You're, you're yeah. going to leave this world. At least your life was not a life of taking. Yeah. Your life was a life of giving, giving. back. And the yeah. earth was kind of witness to that. Yeah. You know? You know, and I live by and Bill McDormand. He's a wonderful, wonderful mentor of mine. And he's a seed guy. Him and his wife a, Bell are yeah. seeds. He, they teach seed school online. Our seed school online course. Right. Uh, and he brought to me a while back the the notion of if what you're doing today doesn't leave an impact in a hundred years, you're not thinking big enough. Hmm. And I would add to that an impact that leaves the earth a better place because yeah. you can make an impact as an oh, oil as an oil man that's true but then you're taken from the earth so yeah. at least your impact is greenifying this planet yeah. and providing healthy food options for people that are locally produced i'll take it there you go i'll take it i like how i said that by the way <laughs> okay cool and the other so the other mentor that really impacted me and there's, there's been bunches of them larry santoyo he's been on the show if you hmm. want to listen to my interview with larry just go you know go to urbanfarmpodcast.com and search Larry Santoyo. But he talks about going out in the world and doing epic sh- every day. Epic stuff. Epic stuff every mm-hmm. day. Right. Exactly. And that really inspires me and it inspires this podcast and it inspires me looking for, and the listeners out there that listen a lot know that I'm always looking for that epic thing that my podcast guests is bringing to the table hmm. you know so well tell us the fourth question if you could recommend one book ah uh, yes what book would you recommend to yeah. the audience and why uh, yeah ishmael by daniel quinn i read that book yeah about the gorilla yep about the gorilla it's an amazing it's a work of fiction most of quinn's work is a work of fiction he's got about 14 books out hmm. and it's it's really a history or a timeline of how we became of to human dominate society. of human society and how we came to dominate the planet. Hmm. And so he, he puts forth a lot of philosophy. And so I actually live my life. I call it through Quinian philosophy, hmm. Daniel Quinn or Ishmaelian philosophy. I really look at how he presented in the book and look to work in the flow of it. There's permaculture again. It's really, you know, it's really a permaculture tome, all of his writings. You know, that book kind of inspired me to kind of look at past dominant civilizations like Mm -hmm. the Romans or the Egyptians Mm -hmm. or now like the Americans, you know, and um, see how we're not better than them. The Americans of today are not better than the Romans of the past. We're repeating the same cycles. Yeah. And so it's time to wake up and to do things with your life that don't take and take and take, but instead live in balance yeah. and try to harmonize yourself with animals, with the earth, with food. Yeah. 
Give that, back. that book's important for that, yeah. I think. Give more than you take. Yeah, and what like final that. piece of advice would you have for our listeners out there? <sighs> well, you know, I just said it. Give more than you take. Mm -hmm. Live an epic life. And here's the thing. My epic is different than your epic. And our epic is different than our listeners out there. You know, your, your, for those of you listening out there, your epic might be to raise an amazing young person, hmm. amazing children. You know, your epic might be to start a grocery store chain that's green and clean. That's grown within 10 right. mile radius of the grocery store. Right. Exactly. Or, or something. Or your epic might be that you're just going to grow some food for your family and friends. Mm -hmm. Those are all epic. There's not a judgment about the size of the epic. You have to decide what the epic is. And that's what I tell people. We, you're vegan. Mm -hmm. I'm vegetarian. Years. And I have vegans and vegetarians on my show. I have meat eaters on my show. And what I tell people in that arena is that you have to decide. You have to decipher and figure out what works for you and your health around what you're putting in. And the best thing we can do is to come to understand what works best for us around food and what we're putting in. Mm -hmm. And that's really in life. You need to go out and figure out what works best for you around everything in your life. Mm -hmm. And if you're stuck behind a desk and not having fun with it, stop. Do something else. And sometimes it takes time to transition out of there. You know, stop and do something different. In fact, if you're... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb here. If you're stuck behind a desk and you're miserable and you want to get inspired to do something else. If you feel that way, it's probably not the life you're meant to live. That's for sure. I can't believe I'm about ready to say this, but go you ahead. can shoot me an email, greg at urbanfarm.org, and tell me why you're not inspired where you're at and what it would take for you to be inspired. You know, because here's the thing. In 1991, I was just a guy growing a garden in my yard. Mm -hmm. And I created myself to be the person on the planet responsible for transforming our global food system. Who knows if I'll get there. But I get to live into it every day. Yeah. And from that, I get to do epic stuff every day. You know, along those same lines, just I have this Facebook group for gardeners called mm -hmm. Urban Gardening in Arizona. Oh my God, check it out. We got 21,000 members now. It's a closed group in just a year and a half or two years, I think. Two years, yeah. And people that post videos of themselves in the group, because the group is run by the users. Uh -huh. I'm just the moderator. Yeah. And they post videos of themselves in their gardens. They're always dancing. They're covered in dirt and they're dancing. Everybody does a dance karaoke lip sync video in their garden with their hat, with their gloves, dirty as hell. People in cubicles don't do that. Yeah. People that are dirty and sweaty, getting too much sun on their skin, working too hard, yep. throwing their backs out. They love it and they dance because there's something about playing in dirt and living a life in a garden that's super impactful and, like you said, makes you a happier person. Yeah. Amen to that. Well, let's close hey, up right hey, there. I want to yeah. thank everybody out there for joining me today on the Jake Mace Urban Farm Podcast Show with jakemace.com <laughs> and seedbankbox.com if you want to get seeds from yeah, our program perfect. there. Oh, yeah. Check that out. And how can my listeners get a hold of you? Perfect. Perfect. So urbanfarm.org is our website. You can catch me at greg at urbanfarm.org. We're on Facebook and I'm Twitter and soon to be Instagram, apparently, if you keep I'm going to help you get on Instagram because uh -huh. I'm telling you, everybody under the age of 20 uh -huh. is on Snapchat. 
Wow. And I'm going to show you how to use that. All right, cool. It's going to take up all your time. Fantastic. You're, you're going to hate it, but you're going to love it. All right. <laughs> and you can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org slash farmergreg. And that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Jake Mace, the vegan athlete here with Greg Peterson, the urban farmer with the Urban Farm Podcast. Do you want to save money at the grocery store, eat more organic whole foods, cultivate food security, and feel more connected to the earth? If so, then growing your own food is a no-brainer. You wouldn't believe how many people come to me claiming that they can't grow their own food. They think they don't have enough space, that they're too busy, or that they simply don't have what it takes. Perhaps you've fallen for one of these gardening myths. If you think you can't grow food, or if you think the only food that you have access to is what you buy in the grocery store, I have a life-changing webinar that you need to see. It's free and will help you unearth your inner gardener. I've helped thousands of people just like you learn to grow their own food, and I'm speaking from my own experience when I say that with the right knowledge in place, there is no such thing as a black thumb. With this webinar, you can begin making your garden dreams come true and start growing delicious, nutritious food for your family. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to IWantToGarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Remember, that's GARDEN to 44222 or IWantToGarden.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.